0: Welcome to the Echo Cast, a podcast about video game news, speculation, reviews, and whatever else I feel like covering. I am your host, Morgan, aka Bond, and this week we'll be talking about Zelda's triumphant return, Dragon Age getting bad ish news, the Division 2's year 4 finale, and much, much more. A few things before we get started. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube. Please subscribe to the channel. Hit the like button if you do, and comment with your thoughts, questions for next week, or just to say hello. A big thank you to supporter-level patrons PK, The Dawn, Cage Nephilim, and Neuronix, as well as producer-level patron Shami Soul. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and getting ad-free episodes, For as little as $1 a month, please check out patreon.com slash bond diesel gaming news. This week, we have 10 topics. Number one, Zelda tears of the kingdom release. The Metacritic score is as of right now, we'll talk about that 96 pretty darn good. From the reviews I've watched, it's getting a lot of praise for its gameplay, size of the world, surprises with the size, and improvements on the previous game. Complaints have been mediocre performance, mostly due to the Switch, and time to get going. So I've seen some, not all, uh, reviews talking about how the first 10-15 hours of the game you're kind of feeling like, uh, okay, this is fine, and then it seems like it kicks in, and everyone is a pretty big fan it appears so you know this isn't that surprising Uh, a large number of people including a recent GQ 100 best games uh, list considered uh, Breath of the Wild one of the best games if not the best game ever made and the follow-up that appears to be even after reviews of what I would call a safe sequel seems to be not only doing as well, but seems to be getting received even better. And so in the long run, we may see people basically, you know, replacing Breath of the Wild as the best game ever made, or as one of, with this game, because it seems like it's doing everything that Breath of the Wild did, but better. Um, it's it's been interesting. There's there, there has been an interesting conversation going on about this because. You know, the complaints about performance and stuff like that. Um, I've been watching quite a few streams because I am very curious. I have not owned a Nintendo platform since the Game Boy Color. I had one of the clear purple ones. And so I have no dog in this fight, really. Um, I've just never had a strong desire to get a Switch uh, or before that, a Wii U or even a Wii or even a GameCube or even a... Was it the 64 before the gamecube there's no way that was the leap i've got to be missing one i don't know you can correct me down in the comments of the youtube video i guess but um so i i'm not super familiar i've watched a ton of streams i've watched gameplay you know uh Videos and um, Breath of the Wild. I've watched some like story summaries because the Zelda story has always been very interesting to me um, because it's I don't want to call it like, schizophrenic or anything, but it's just it's kind of wild. It seems like they just kind of you know they, they don't really ever want to stick with one timeline forever. That it jumps around. It's a metaverse, you could say, and it's just an interesting game because. If you compared it to, like, my favorite game of all time, I'm I'm dealing with the fact that it's probably Red Dead Redemption 2. And what's funny about it is that they're almost opposite games. Even today, Red Dead Redemption 2, if you set it up right, has some of the best graphics of a game ever made. Some of the most detailed and, you know, interactive worlds ever made in a video game environmental design top-notch just insanely gorgeous the tech is incredible you got shrinking horse balls you got snow physics that still haven't been done better um you, you've got just you know animation work voice work the story it may be too long for some people some people didn't like the controls okay but you've just got like you know the soundtrack like Red Dead Redemption 2 may not be everyone's favorite game, but in my opinion, if if you are combining all of the things that make up a game and rating Red Dead Redemption 2 against other games on all of those categories, I personally, my personal subjective opinion is that there's not a better game that's ever been made. And then Zelda Breath of the Wild and now Tears of the Kingdom especially is almost the opposite. I think if you broke the, this game down into all of its pieces, you, you wouldn't probably have anything that's like bad, like like under a 6 out of 10, say, but you would have multiple things that aren't the best or even good in some situations. Um, from what I've seen and the reviews I've listened to and stuff like that, the gameplay is just top notch. It is it, probably... From a gameplay perspective, I can understand why this is probably the best game ever made for a lot of people. The mechanics, just just the way that you you work the world and the physics and a lot of the detail and stuff like that is insane. Like a lot of the things that you're able, the freedom you're given, which most games are so scared to give players freedom because it's so easy to break a game. And that's a thing that can be said that sounds like for Tears of the Kingdom. I've seen multiple reviewers now say they didn't run into a single like bug which in today's age isn't common now again to some point this it doesn't take away but they this is a direct sequel to a game and it's obvious they didn't mess with what was working right and so they they they've more refined the last game and added more rather than reinventing the wheel which is fine there's nothing wrong with that But it just seems like this is a situation where they knocked it out of the park so hard with just the way the game plays, which at the end of the day is what games are about. So if you had to weight the different things you can rate about a game that you can break it down, gameplay is probably worth five times as much as anything else because it's a game. It's supposed to be fun. And so because of that, I can start to understand like, oh, okay that's why people can get over the fact that on the switch, this thing runs close to 30 FPS, even though FPS has been such a big deal with so many games over the last few years. Um, You know, Nintendo gets a pass, you know, the, the game gets a pass because it can't help the hardware it's on. And Nintendo gets a pass because they're Nintendo and they've earned it. At least in a lot of people's minds, you know, the gameplay, is so good. It makes this game one of the best, if not the best game ever made, despite the story and the voice acting or lack thereof. That's what blew my mind while I was watching this. I've known, I mean, I know Link is a silent protagonist. Super cool. Totally cool with that. I mean, one of my favorite games is the Division series and you have a silent protagonist in that, right? But I watched a few streams today and I don't know what's worse. The fact that, like, most of the dialogue in Zelda isn't voice acted, which is just mind boggling to me. Like, it's just wild that that it's it's a game that gets the praise and the budget and the time it gets. And most of the dialogue is text along with the. Huh? Yeah. Hmm. Oh, that whole thing. I don't know if that's worse than the dialogue we heard from Zelda. (laughs) in the opening of the game. I haven't heard more, so maybe it gets better. But that the voice acting is atrocious. It is real bad. Like it is like surprisingly awful. And it's so so you look at that, but the gameplay is so good, no one cares. You you look at the graphics, which um it's stylized and it is it's pretty. But if you stack it up to everything else, you know, like Ratchet and Clank is stylized, but still looks really good. But that's because it's on PS5. And it's because it's on a system that's, God, what, 8, 9, 10 times more powerful than the Switch? And so it's like, it's such an interesting thing that if the ratings a game gets are supposed to be like a grade, like when you were in school, of quality, it's, in my opinion, hard to see this game getting 10 out of 10s. Because if it was a grading scale, like in school, it would get deductions for those things that are subpar, you know, it would get all of the, like, uh, so here, so say, um, there were 10 categories for how you rate games and in each category can get up to 10 points. In my opinion, a game like red dead would get at least eight, nine, maybe 10 points in most of its categories and the tears of the kingdom would get 10 points for gameplay but that's all it could get it wouldn't be weighted right and but it would get fewer points for guy, it would get like a five for voice acting it would get you know like a seven or eight for graphics and you would end up seeing it having probably like something like the 80s maybe the 70s even though it's a game that's gameplay is so good and, and so what we actually end up seeing in the scoring of this game is that the gameplay is weighted and that's fine. I, I'm not arguing against that. I actually don't know what I'm getting at here. I just think it's so interesting to look at a game like this and see the praise it's getting, despite the fact that much of the game is subpar. It's just very. And that's when I start to think about how um, I've really started to be leaning more towards not looking at reviews and especially review scores as um, like a grade but instead of looking at it like a a chance of re- of recommendation so a eight nine so let's say like a nine or a ten is a game that that you as an individual who is reviewing that game your subjective take is that you would recommend it to everyone who can play it still acknowledging that not everyone's going to be into it but a nine or a ten is you saying like i think nine out of 10 people are going to love this game or whatever. Like almost everyone should play this game. Where then if you rate a game like a seven or eight, you're saying like, it's very good, but it may have a more targeted audience. So maybe not everyone will love this game, but a pretty broad number of people, people in who like this genre or whatever will like this game. And then you get down to like, you know, a six, seven, That it may just be even more specific. Like, this isn't a bad game. It just is very specific about who's going to like it. And so, like, if you look at the ratings um, that that we see in that way, a 10 out of 10 makes complete sense for Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, right? So, for me, it's, uh, and where, and then, so here's my honest truth. I consider, right, Dead Redemption 2, if I do the, the grade rating, a 10 out of 10. At least a 9 out of 10. If I rate it on the recommendation scale, I'd probably say like a seven or eight. Even though so much of the stuff is so good, it's obvious that there are a large number of people who just don't vibe with it. I'd say an eight. I'd give it an eight out of ten. It, whereas like someone, and this is me on the outside, I haven't played Zelda yet, Tears of the Kingdom. But on the outside, if I gave it, if I gave Tears of the Kingdom a quality grade score. I'd give it like a seven and a half or an eight out of 10. But if I gave it a recommendation score, it'd be a nine or a 10, right? So it's just, it's interesting. And and what I think you see is you see people across the spectrum of gaming in the gaming community who all have different takes on this and not just the two takes I've presented. I'm sure people have all kinds of opinions on scores. God, there's some outlets that only score out of five, which is mind numbing to me because the difference between a four and a five, in my opinion, is too big to just give it a four or a five. There's so much nuance in the nine and then the seven. Like, I it drives me crazy that there's outlets that are doing five score. And, you know, obviously they can cop out and do a four point five or something that ends up just being a ten point scale. But it drives me nuts that there's just straight up five. Like, I love kind of funny. I love everything they do. And they even have made it clear that their score isn't really meant to be taken seriously. They aren't Metacritic; it's just for their own. You can also tell, I think, that they recognized a while ago that the five-point scale sucks, especially because it's not like official. That it, why then if it's not official, then why not just do a, a larger scale, right? Anyways, it, it's just been an interesting thing to, when I've been watching this game and I've been watching people play it and talk about it. It, for me as someone who's on the outside who hasn't played these games, who isn't invested in them and'm kind of looking around like I mean this looks amazing and there are d- and don't get me wrong about the graphics and stuff um what's funny is it's not really the graphics that are super impressive, but it's like the lighting and the physics um like for a game that's running on a really old console like that like Link's hair physics like link's hair like moves around I don't know if it is dynamic, it may just be a canned animation, but it looks really good. And then the lighting is actually pretty impressive. Now, all the shadows look like shit. Like, all the textures are terrible because it's run at, like, you know, maybe 720p if they're lucky. Uh, Or unless you're someone who's emulating it, which there's been a really interesting story with that, which I bet we'll be covering next week. Because I bet there's going to be some stink brought up about what some streamers are doing that I've seen. But... This isn't me trying to be like, well, actually, Z- Tears of the Kingdom is a bad game. My conclusion is, is that we should look at game scores as recommendation scores and not quality scores. And Tears of the Kingdom should be a 9 or a 10. I, I completely i am there on that. Um, but it's taken me kind of that realization or at least that personal opinion to kind of get there. Because the game I see getting played from a quality perspective is not a 10 out of 10. It just isn't. Not even close um especially when compared to other games. Um and so it's been an interesting journey for me. And this isn't just with this game. It's been an ongoing thing where I've started to be thinking about it more like oh okay, like sure, like it, you know, all these scores on these games make way more sense from like a recommendation standpoint. Um at least in my opinion. So it's a complicated subject. I'm actually I'm genuinely curious to what you think about it. So if you're on YouTube, please let me know in the comments kind of how you feel about it. Um if you're not on youtube um please check out uh you know my uh, I, I make a post about the podcast on the echo cast twitter it's at the echo cast and you can um uh, you give me your thoughts there i'm very curious uh, you can also jump in the discord where i'd be happy to hear you out um yeah it's an interesting subject i think it's only going to get more complicated i've seen a decent number of the reviewers saying that they think this is their game of the year already it, it is interesting how many of them have been saying, though, like, well, Survivor was really good or Resident Evil 4 was really good and Starfield could surprise people. And Final Fantasy 16 is Final Fantasy and Diablo 4 is coming around the corner and it looks pretty good, too. And Spider-Man 2 is coming and, you know, maybe Hellblade 2 is coming out later this year. um You know, there's, there still are a lot of things to happen now is this what i would consider this like the elden ring of this year we're like it should probably be the winner but elden ring and ragnarok god of war ended up having a face-off so is there going to be a god of war that comes out later in the year or something like that that ends up kind of competing for that spot or could there be two or three games that people come together uh or could there be like an indie darling like with um uh, it takes two a few years ago where it comes in and it says you know hey i'm here too let's talk about me and that even if it just takes away votes from one game it's an interesting thing i'm very curious to see what happens and uh i would love to hear your thoughts okay story number two 20 minutes minutes into the show uh dragon age Dreadwolf is not coming until 2024 probably uh ea released the schedule for their 2024 fiscal year this goes through march of 2024 uh, Dreadwolf is not on this list, and this list claims that uh, these are all of the announced games they plan uh, to release during this fiscal year, which again goes till March of twenty twenty four. It's an interesting subject because myself and others have been like huffing copium on this and trying to say like, well. We don't have a date for it. We never had one. They never announced a released window even. So maybe that's not technically announced. But they did give us a full name. They have like shown us some stuff about the game. So it's it's really, to me, come down to, if you believe it's been announced, we're probably looking at it coming out in the next fiscal year after March of 2024. If you don't think it's really been announced, then maybe we'll find out a release date in June. It looks like EA is going to be at Summer Game Fest. Maybe BioWare shows up and they announce something with them. I hope that'd be really cool. Um, We'll see. Um, I'm in the camp that believes um, Jeff Grubb. Uh, has he he has pretty good ties it sounds like with ea and especially bioware he must have a contact in bioware that's pretty knowledgeable whatever that means and uh, he's been pretty spot on with a lot of takes on bioware and his take is that he's been hearing their goal was maybe they could get it out by the end of 2023 but it was leaning towards 2024 now He didn't seem completely sold on it not coming in this fiscal year. He seems very adamant it's coming in 2024, Um, but didn't really specify like like after this fiscal year. Um, Now, it's implied by this graphic that we saw. And um, I think fans should be safe with their hearts and probably assume next fiscal year. Um, It could be spring. It could be summer. I don't think it's going to be like next winter, 2024, but it's probably not going to be 2023. Again, anything could happen. Maybe they have a big surprise for this summer, uh, this fall, this winter or something. Um, They are going to go a while without any big releases during this fiscal year. If you look at the other games that are announced that they're still expecting, there's nothing really that big or impressive that's coming other than their annual titles. So we'll see. Uh, obviously, for someone like me, the, the main thought on this is like, man, like, how does this impact the Mass Effect game? We already heard that Dreadwolf uh, brought back Mark Dara to come help push it out the door. We've all also heard at that same time that they are they took devs from the Mass Effect team to work on Dreadwolf and help get it out the door. That's a little concerning as a Mass Effect fan, if you know you already know that pre production team is probably pretty small. I can't imagine it's more than 30, 40, 50 people at the most. Uh, And if they're taking people from that artwork, you know, we don't know who they took. We don't know if maybe that there were some art people, some animation people, some environmental people, some people they had worked on like vertical slices or something in pre-production for Mass Effect. Maybe they brought them over to just polish some stuff up or are some of the directors from Mass Effect going over and helping try to kind of pull things together and as like a leadership role. Um, to, to try to help push things through. You know, those things all could impact what's going on with Mass Effect in the long term, because you know, I've talked so much about how a lot of the issues that Dreadwolf is dealing with is the fact that this game has been like rebooted, it's changed what it, it's gone from being like an MMO or live service game to being just a regular single player game Um, it's had all these issues and which means that most of its pre-production probably was wasted got thrown out the door because they made all these big changes and I've talked about the Mass Effect game that it may not be as far away as you think because if it's had a healthy fulfilled pre-production cycle they can produce the game they can do full production on the game pretty quickly if they know exactly what they're doing and then a little distraction like this, if they're pulling people off of that project, it makes me a little concerned about the pre-production process of Mass Effect. Now, I'm not scared. I'm not gonna make any videos about it being delayed because neither game has been delayed. Neither game had a release date. So if you see any YouTubers or other creators spouting that stuff, shut them down because it's not true. There's no delay without a release date. A setback, maybe, but I doubt it. I think this is just the way it's going to go. I think at the end of the day, the impatient part of us wants to see this game come as soon as possible. I think the more patient versions of ourselves should say, you know, it should come out sooner than later, but they shouldn't rush it out. We've seen what happened with a game like Redfall that is just rotten to the core, you know? And we even saw what happened to a game like Jedi survivor. That is a very good game but came out too early. It needed a few more months of polish, obviously. We see that now. So, you know, we don't want it to be either of those games. Even though Survivor seems like it's doing okay. They're fixing it up slowly but surely. And, you know, as a Mass Effect fan, I I will play Dreadwolf. I am curious. I would like to check it out. Um, I'm not like die-hard excited for Dreadwolf. I want them to finish Dreadwolf so they can start working on Mass Effect. And I know that there's probably some other Mass Effect fans who, who feel the same. It's it's not that I wish any ill will on Dreadwolf. I just wanted to get out of the way. <laughs> so it it's an interesting story to follow. Um I believe that some people on the on Jeff Grubb's uh, Game Mess uh, Discord responded to one of our listeners, someone in my community, uh, asking about Mass Effect, basically saying, it's not really impacting Mass Effect because there's not even like a goal year for Mass Effect yet, technically. I'm sure that they have a vague idea of what they want to do, but there's nothing set in stone, so it's not that big of a deal. It's a fluid situation still, so we will have to wait and see story number three the division two year four finale and my thoughts on it so the division is it was wrapping up its fourth year of content which is kind of hard to believe they um, have been doing these manhunts and these seasons that kind of you know coincide with each other and the way it works is basically there's throughout the year there's multiple manhunts and uh the manhunts consists of like four lieutenants that you hunt every, I think it's every three weeks, they open up. And then at the end of the manhunt, you open up the main target, which um the lieutenants are these like smaller missions. You get to them, they have a little little bit of story, and then the and then the head honcho, the main manhunt target, is typically one of the big missions that they've modified to be a lot different and to be unique to that manhunt. And they're typically pretty awesome, and and this and this manhunt was, um, was in that same boat. Absolutely, it was very very good. It was very cool. It was a lot of fun, um, because it was the end of a whole year. Though it was the final manhunt of year four, they escalated things quite a bit. I'm not going to reveal any spoilers, um, but it was very good. It was probably the biggest story. Beats and movement they've had since Warlords of New York came out, their big DLC that came out in 2020, I believe. So we saw a lot of stuff happen there. There was a pretty bad bug in the mission, which people eventually found out how to get past, and it's since been fixed. It's no longer uh, in there, and we're just going to have to... um, Now it's a wait for year five, which is expected to start, I believe, in June, uh, which is going to come with a new mode in the first season. And then will culminate supposedly with a DLC that I think is going to have a whole new game area. Uh, at least that's what they've said. So I'm guessing it's actually Brooklyn, an area that we played in in the prologue of the first game. And uh, I hope I'm right. So, yeah, that manhunt was great. I was very impressed by it. Um, they do have a PTS going on right now, which is for the mode that's coming in the first season of year five here in a few months uh, or in a month or so. And, um, it's called the descent mode. It's kind of a, it's like kind of a roguelite mode. Um, if you played the division one, it's a real mix of like the underground and survival and resistance a little bit. It's a, it's an interesting bird. It's it's, um, I, 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 I don't think it's going to like take the world by storm. I don't think we're going to be seeing people dropping all their live service games and no one's deleting destiny to come play the descent it's pretty cool it's interesting i think it's going to have a similar life as countdown the big mode they had for year four which had you know a few weeks maybe a month or so of popularity there's still people who do enjoy it who still play it uh but it's probably not going to take the world by storm so i'm excited to see what comes with year five i'm excited to see how the story beats play out um one of the people who is involved with that game uh it has been like checking in with me being like oh do you like what's going on do you see what's happening like this is pretty cool right and uh and it is it's very interesting i've really enjoyed uh playing through i'm not gonna pretend like i'm grinding that game endlessly at this point in my uh in my game in my love of that game i'm, I'm kind of just playing it when there's stuff to play uh but it's still a fun game it's still it's a it's a cool experience so Uh, If you're a Division fan and you've been gone for a bit, I think this current manhunt is definitely worth going and playing through, even just for the story beats. Story number four, Summer Game Fest. Partners have been announced. They had 4D something uh, partners they announced from uh, PlayStation and Xbox were on there. I don't know if that necessarily means they're both going to have reveals at the show. Um, We know that PlayStation's probably going to have a show before, and we know that Xbox is having a show right after. So I suspect they're going to hold a lot of stuff close to their belt, to their chest. Maybe is the better word there. Um, But it is interesting. It's a ton of indie. It's a bunch of studios that we've heard of. I think like Devolver was on there, Annapurna, and and a bunch of the kind of people you expect. Um, EA was on there. So if you're someone like me who is hoping for some Dreadwolf or Mass Effect teasers, um, EA is there, which could mean Bioware. Bioware wasn't mentioned specifically, but neither were any of their other subsidiary studios. So, you know, we can all cross our fingers and hope. Uh, Ubisoft is on there too, which is a studio, which is a publisher that is reluctantly close to my heart. I guess um, th- there has been some thought. Uh, that they may not show too much because I believe they're having a show as well uh, around that time. Uh, it's a, They call there's a forward. And there's a lot of thoughts that, especially in the games I'm a fan of, the Division games, we're expecting to see quite a bit of stuff from that. So Summer Game Fest, it's coming up really quick. We're less than a month away. Um, I scheduled a vacation on uh, around the time of all of this. So I'm going to miss out on coverage of most of it. Uh, but that's okay. I'm going to be having fun with my family and uh, I can always come back and make videos. If anything, uh, making videos in the fallout of all of the announcements, especially Xbox and Starfield, I think will be pretty fun anyways. Story number five uh, It has leaked that the new Call of Duty in 2023 is going to be called Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. Big surprise. Um, Not that surprising. Uh, it's going to be developed by Sledgehammer, uh, which is one of the studios that the Call of Duty franchise kind of rotates around with. Uh, it's going to feature a new campaign, multiplayer, zombie mode, and a new map for Warzone 2. Um, there was a thought that there may not be a COD this year, and I think what this is probably going to amount to is probably a $70 DLC. Um, and that's not a knock. Uh, this all, all this stuff combined could very well be worth $70 bucks to people. Um, the campaign i'm curious about because uh the last two the modern warfare and modern warfare 2 the reboots or whatever we're calling them uh, were done by infinity ward and they like call of duty or not the infinity Ward single player experiences are extremely high quality and they're typically pretty fun even if they're kind of dumb action hero stuff i still think they're normally a blast and I'm really curious to how Sledgehammer is going to carry this on. If, if this campaign is supposed to be a continuation of 1 and 2, I mean, I'm kind of surprised that Infinity Ward let go of their baby. Because um, I have a lot of faith in Infinity Ward to make a good story, at least. And I'm just curious to how this is going to go. I have to imagine they worked together, did some consultation, at least, on this because uh or maybe it could be like a side story or something but i don't think they would call it modern warfare 3 if it wasn't going to be directly continuing off of 2 so we'll have to wait and see i'm definitely curious i'm sure i'll play the multiplayer for two or three weeks like always i'm sure i'll check out the zombies like always and i'm sure i'll jump into the war zone a few times but uh, as much as i would hate to admit it i'll probably buy this this is one of those things that I really wanted to see that Activision Blizzard deal go through, so I didn't have to pay for Diablo, so I didn't have to pay for Call of Duty, since uh, I haven't game Pass. but here we are. I don't think that's changing anytime soon. Okay, this is story number six, which is actually our weekly topic. So this week I wanted to talk about how much does the Game of the Year award really matter? So Game of the Year um, for a long time has been, uh, especially since the Jeff Keeley show, but even before then with previous award shows, with magazines that do their Game of the Year. I, I wonder how much this really matters at this point, because there are the kind of couple outlets that people take the most seriously, or at least people's preferred few outlets. And those, you know, tend to fall kind of in similar places, you 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 saw a lot of Elden Ring or Ragnarok last year being, getting Game of the Year with most outlets. Um, I gave my Game of the Year to A uh, Plague Tale Requiem because it was beautiful and it made me cry. Um, but at the end of the day, you can pretty much find most major releases or even some indies will get a Game of the Year award from somebody. I remember a couple of years ago, I think it was was it far cry six or whatever um, one of the more recent ones was It, it was an okay game but it was certainly not in anyone's book a game of the year some random website or some random magazine gave them game of the year and it was over like two or three like heavy hitter games like games that absolutely hands down were the games of the year but a few random people said, nah, we aren't going to do that. We're going to try and make a headline and we're going make it, to make it far cry. And so it, it is interesting that the game of the year, you know, it, it's one of those things that if it's your favorite game that gets it, you're tooting it from the rooftops and telling everyone that your favorite game got game of the year. But if it's a game that you don't care for or you don't think deserved it. I'm guilty of this in the past. You'll crap on it endlessly or you'll just find an outlet that gave a game that you preferred and you'll say that they were right, right? So it's it's kind of a bummer that it seems like the game of the year discussion has become kind of like a whether it's a platform war or whether like I've even seen people being like well if Xbox doesn't put out a game of the year contender soon they're gonna fold which like isn't true and like it's such a weird subjective thing to say like well i bet grounded or hi i bet i guarantee hi-fi rush is gonna win game of the year for somebody and will at least be in the discussion could be for summer for the game awards and for a lot of major outlets i think hi-fi rush will at least be in the conversation and that's an Xbox product. Um, but there's kind of this like over importance, in my opinion, placed on game of the year and stuff like that at this point, mostly because it's, it's become so like political and skewed and stuff almost of it, it kind of does what, pla- what pla- matter, what platform a game came on and things like that. I, um, I just, it's still a fun discussion to have but I definitely like, like I care a lot more about my determination last year than any of the other ones I listened to on podcasts and stuff. I was curious to hear other outlets out, but like giant bombs, you know, the way they concluded and came to theirs, they actually have a kind of an interesting process where they do basically like a, like an, like an argue off. And And it actually, I think is pretty convincing um because in at least like you at least know the game of the year they selected was their game of the year now whether it was supposed to be everyone's i think it's kind of going back to that discussion i had about tears of the kingdom you know should we look at the game of the year awards as they're supposed to apply to everyone or is it that organization saying this is our game of the year we're not saying it has to be yours we're just saying this is ours and that's actually kind of how i prefer to look at it. one because it supports my own personal bias. And two because it allows me to be like, "Oh, okay, that's what they liked. Well, my game of the year was this. I wonder if anyone agreed." And you can kind of try to find outlets that maybe agreed with you or not. But, you know, even the game awards is voted on by a bunch of journalists. Now, it's a more diverse take, I guess. Uh <laughs> I have some opinions on that that I won't get into in this vid- in this podcast, but they do at least sample a large number of people around the industry and so the game awards probably has the most diverse um game of the year the the one that has the most diverse um amount of people from different places voting on it but it still is just um eh, you know it's 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 still just it's not about the game of the year it's about the journey there <laughs> you know so um let me know what you think i'm curious to what do you care about game of the year are there certain outlets that you trust more to to award that uh, do you think it should just be by the number of copies sold so in that case like hogwarts is probably gonna win it this year um which is funny because i i bet hogwarts won't even be in the discussion for a lot of outlets and it's not just because of a bias against all of the stuff Is that that game was in a weird space and I've talked about it before, I think even just last week, but that game really seems like it's probably, it's just like a good game, but it's not like amazing, but all of the conversation around it and kind of the the Harry Potter fandom that some people have, which is awesome. Uh, And then unfortunately the people who were kind of like virtue signaling by buying the game and streaming it and stuff, uh, you know, or not, you know, that was going both ways. I think one side is a little more uh, virtuous than the other, but that's a personal opinion. You know, if we just determined it off sales, it would be a whole different game probably every year. So um, I don't take game of the year too seriously at this point, uh, but I think it's uh, still fun to interact with. Okay. Story number seven, Starfield ESRB rating and description. So the ESRB uh, put out their rating, which is mature for uh, violence, drugs, and sexually uh, suggestive content. Um, and here is their full uh, write up on Starfield. Bear with me here. This is an open world role playing game in which players assume the role of a minor tasked with finding artifacts across the galaxy from first and third person perspectives. Players interact with various characters. Complete quest and search for supplies while battling enemies. Humans, robots, and alien creatures. Players are futuristic have futuristic guns, lasers, axes, and explosives to kill enemies. Combat is fast-paced with frequent gunfire, cries of pain, and explosions. Attacks on some enemies can result in blood spatter effects. Several environments depict blood stains on the ground and around corpses. The game can uh, contain some suggestive material in the dialogue, and after sharing a bed with characters, example, life is a sexually transmitted disease that is 100% fatal, and I'm all for getting a little wild, but let's try it without a jetpack next time, and talk about seeing stars, woo, that was amazing. (laughs) A fictional drug, Aurora, is prominent in the game with a section involving players Uh, Characters working in an illicit drug lab Players can also obtain Aurora by stealing or buying it from vendors Uh, Consuming Aurora has a result in a distortion effect on the screen The words fuck and bullshit appear in the game So this is typical fare in my opinion When it comes to all of the things they're mentioning This sounds like a Fallout game um, or even like an Elder Scrolls game Um the romances are interesting so there have been technically romances in previous bethesda games i believe skyrim has where you like can get married technically but there's no like you know there's not like any mass effect sex scenes right um and this seems like it's probably something similar where you know you 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 have a romance and you guys fade the black and then you and then you fade back and you're in bed and you say one of these cheesy lines now i saw some stupid crap this week of a few commentators reading these lines of these after action uh quotes and being like oh this isn't a good sign for starfield and i talked about it I, i mentioned that i did a whole video on it about how i'm afraid starfield isn't gonna get a fair go by a lot of reviewers and the way people reacted to these lines the fallout games and i'm sure the elder scrolls games are kind of cheesy and they do it on purpose it's it's meant to be kind of campy um it's meant to be a little silly and that's what these lines are these lines are no more silly or dumb than anything we've heard in any bethesda games before and they're probably in the situation in the context meant to be silly and so when i saw people already doing the like oh boy this isn't a good sign i'm like come on like just just give it a six out of ten we know, like, just put it in your uh, review right now and pull up your document that you have ready and just put the six out of 10 in there and then you can write the review that supports that for you here in a few months. Um, so that's just, that was frustrating for me. But this sounds great. I mean, all of these things it's describing are exactly what Starfield needs to be. Um, I, there's been people putting a lot of pressure on this game and acting like it needs to be the best thing it's ever been made. It doesn't. This can be an eight out of ten, and that's fine. Um, it's you know, it's. I'm seeing all these people being like, "This has to be a ten out of ten and stuff." It's like it doesn't because it it won't be. That's an unrealistic expectation, and it doesn't like I've talked a lot about it, and I won't go into it because we've talked about it previously. But this game, it's not the end all be all. They they need to have. Xbox really needs like four or five, eight or nines out of tens in a row. Way more than they need to have one ten. Um, the the importance of Starfield it is big, obviously. I'm not going to downplay. It. I'm not going to play that game of. I mean, it's a huge AAA game but here's the thing is that that's almost like a boy who cried wolf kind of a thing because all these journalists and pundits tried to paint redfall as this giant triple a game that failed miserably and it was com- like even before even during its pre this game was obviously meant to be like a side project or like just like a test case or something like even from the initial releases and the initial info we got like redfall was never meant to be this big giant triple a release now the fact that it was 70 bucks and hi-fi rush was 30 there might have been something wrong there maybe they should have flip-flopped maybe redfall should have gotten uh you know surprise dropped and maybe uh hi-fi rush should have gotten like a two-month marketing campaign you know and maybe it should have been 70 and redfall should have been 30 i don't know that's for someone else to decide but um it there is there's a lot of pressure on Bethesda and Starfield, but not because it's supposed to save Star, uh, Xbox's year, just because people want a good game from Bethesda. Fallout 76 gets brought up all the time, even though that was kind of like a spinoff side project thing. I mean, Fallout 4 was their last real game. And it has, you know, as much as some people pan it, it has like an 86 Metacritic score. Like, it was a good game. It was a really good game. And then you have, like, Fallout 3 and stuff like that, But in, and Skyrim. You can't forget about Skyrim and how legendary it is. It's still wildly popular. And so it's, you know, they, they, they put out bangers and whether people, you know, can look past Fallout 76 or not. And, and I, that's why I expect this game to be. This, people need to realize that Starfield is a game that's going to get played for the next 10 years. Even if it comes out, and if it's a 7 out of 10 to a lot of people, no one's going to care. The actual people who play the game won't care. They're going to play it for the next 10 years. They're going to mod it. They're going to put in Simpsons characters, and they're going to put in spaceships from, like, real properties, like the Normandy from Mass Effect. And they're going to do all this stuff, and they're going to play this game endlessly. There's going to be people who know life this game for years. And, and that's cool. And that's because that's Bethesda has a unique thing going on and um, i'm really excited to see it i'm this description of this even though it's in the stupid esrb wording of everything has me saying yep this is exactly what i want and i bet this is for me probably gonna be a 10 out of 10 or an eight or a nine probably i so as much as you know i guess i can't pan on the people who i think are already gonna ditch it because i'm already given it its flowers but i am just some dude that like a couple hundred people care about not someone that hundreds of thousands of people listen to so I think this is great. This makes me even more excited for Starfield. Story number eight, a Plague Tale Requiem has a 60 FPS patch. So I mentioned that last year, my game of the year personally was a Plague Tale Requiem. Um, The biggest bummer about that game, besides the heartbreaking story, even though that wasn't a bummer, it was my favorite part, was that it was locked at 30 FPS. And even then it probably wasn't hitting it consistently. And now they have a 60 FPS patch and I'm genuinely pumped. I... I don't know if I can put my heart through that yet again, but I really want to play it through again now at 60 FPS because, um, you know, my biggest issue was that it was just a little herky jerky at 30 FPS. And this was a game that would just look so good at 60 and I'm really excited to play it again. Um, if you haven't played the Plague Tale Requiem, if you have game pass, it's still there and this patch is free. So I would go check it out if you haven't. Um, I didn't even play the first game. I did watch a story summary, um, some videos to know where I was at. And I, I've seen people recommend that you should play the first one. I was more than emotionally invested, uh, in the second one only. And so, you know, you can make your choice there, but I really enjoyed that journey. Um, and I, it's so good that I want to do it again and I'm having a hard time making myself do it. So take that for what you will. It is a It's a game that has, I think it has good gameplay. Um, Say a game like Guardians of the Galaxy, I would argue had like mediocre, if not bad, actual gameplay, but the story, characters, graphics, all of that was like top-notch. A Playtale Requiem, I would put like a step above that where all of the same things are top-notch and the gameplay was like pretty good. Not amazing. Some people don't like it. I thought it was great. I thought it was actually a lot of fun and um, and it just really complemented everything else well it it does relationships extremely well obviously between uh, amicia and her brother um what it does so well and maybe i was extra moved by it as a father of a young child but it really showed her little brothers uh, hugo um his like wonderment and his childlike view on the world um despite these awful terrible things that are happening to him, to the world, to to his to Amicia, to everyone around them, these terrible things are happening. Yet there's you know more than a handful of moments where Hugo stops and smells the roses, literally, and and, and helps Amicia, who has become this hardened murderer, <laughs> like in her quest to save Hugo and keep him safe. Um, you know, it, and she goes through the the main thing i didn't like in this game was that it like borderlines on like trauma porn with amicia um if you remember like the 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 reboot of the tomb raider games excellent games i just finished shadow of the tomb raider recently but they go a little too far sometimes with like just showing like these women going through these like awful circumstances and to the point where like sometimes it feels kind of weird um but it's still very good and they just do the ups and downs really well. You you go from seeing Hugo seeing something in the world that just makes him so happy and so joyous, and he acts like a little kid, and then you see other stuff, and the 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 up and down of it just really pulls you in, and then the end just freaking it gets you. At least it got me so. Check it out if you have game pass even if you don't i think it's worth the money i think the game's on sale if you're on other platforms uh story number nine uh, shadow of the tomb raider playthrough thoughts so like i just mentioned i finished uh, shadow of the tomb raider this was kind of a weird playthrough um situation i played the first two games on stream like five years ago um and then uh, when the third game is i think that's before the third game even came out and when it came out i remember it getting kind of mixed reviews and people not being a big fan so i kind of ignored it and then um i decided recently i was like i was kind of in the lull i wanted to play something a little different than what i had been playing and so i grabbed uh, shadow of the tomb raider and played it through and it had some weird moments um it it definitely had um you know a f- some things that were like kind of kind of you know it it delved into the fantastic a bit um but not too much um it, it i thought it was great i thought it was a lot of fun um the graphics were great it looked incredible uh, a lot of the things i've been talking about the voice acting the animations the, the environments are just gorgeous um, everything looks so good and this is a couple year old game very impressed again another recommendation if you um need a game to play that whole reboot trilogy, I think is worth it. And we now know that they're making uh, more games, more Tomb Raider games, uh, and it's by the same developer. And it's gonna get published by Amazon. And it's supposed to continue the story after Shadow of the Tomb Raider. It will be the same Lara Croft. It will be kind of continuing on that journey, which is awesome. There's so much more they can do. Finally, story number 10 is just a quick content update. After a few months of streaming on YouTube and Twitch, um, it was an interesting experience. Uh, I've decided to just go back to Twitch entirely. So if you catch my streams, you'll need to look at Twitch. Um, There are people who only came to YouTube. And so I I really hope that if you're listening to this, that you are willing to come over to Twitch and make an account if you don't have one and and say hi, because I really appreciate that if you don't want to do that. It's totally cool. I will still be uploading the VODs of the streams to YouTube. Um, it'll, they'll appear as like new videos instead. And um, it's just, it was too complicated without much gain. Um, I was only getting around like two to 5% of my view time from those streams on my channel, which is growing well, in my opinion, for me, in, in in my situation, the channel is growing well, and it wasn't. It just it wasn't contributing much, especially for the trouble it was. I basically had to run two um, streams at the same time on my computer, which could just barely handle it. Which meant I couldn't play PC games, and it just it was more limiting. And the YouTube streaming system and environment, it just kind of stinks. Um, I, I just. They're trying and they're making changes that are good, but I just, um, it's just, it's just what happened was a couple of years ago, almost, I think they took a bunch of big streamers like Dr. Lupo and stuff like that, that came over to stream with them exclusively. And like the six months after that happened, they made a few pretty good changes. And then they, as far as I can tell, haven't done anything since the chat is still terrible. The user experience, I think, for streamers and viewers is awful. They've just they're just so far behind on so much of the basic stuff that they should have copied from Twitch by now. And they just haven't. And I don't think they're going to because I bet that this summer when a bunch of those contracts run out, I bet a bunch of those streamers are right back over on Twitch. I can almost guarantee it. So we'll see. Uh, and so that's a, that really is a small part of why I think YouTube has slowed down their investment because I think they know they're about to have an exodus from their platform of live streamers. YouTube is going to be fine. YouTube is very popular, but I suspect that their lives, their live streaming is about to lose a whole bunch of, um, of pretty big names. So we'll see, but I'm back over on Twitch, twitch.tv slash bond diesel. Uh, I will try to start streaming again. I'm going to get real busy here these next few weeks. Um, I take a vacation here in about a month. um, And after that, things should calm down for me a bit. Uh, But this next month will be a little sketchy. So I'll put out stuff when I can. This podcast should be safe. I should be able to get out an episode every week. Everything else, we will see. We do have some listener questions. If you have your own questions or topics you want me to discuss in next week's episode, Please let me know on Discord in the YouTube comments, or hit me up on Twitter at bon diesel or at the EchoCast. Our questions this week come from Master Prime. First question: Do you see a future in live service games? For now, I do. There some come. I mean, we know like Sony is supposedly working on like ten of them. I'm, I'm sure we'll see half of those get canceled. That's normal. Uh, but they're gonna try, and they have a the one we know about is The Last of Us. We also you know we have destiny 2 which um sony owns but it's multi-platform um i i think we're gonna see companies keep trying um and the big thing is i don't know what the next trend will be that they'll chase instead so i think until there's something that really proves itself as the next big thing we'll see them keep trying and everyone's gonna keep failing you know everyone wants to be fortnite um or or apex or even Destiny to a point, and it's hard. And even those companies aren't perfect. Fortnite's probably the closest to doing it really well, but it helps that it's made by the same people who own the engine that they're on, and so that they can do things a little quicker than others. Um, but yeah, I mean, even Apex and even Destiny, I would say those are like the three non-MMO live service games that everyone thinks of. And even they don't do it perfect, so. I just i think it's it's such a hard style of game to make and to maintain and i just don't think very many studios are up for it and i really don't think very many publishers are up for it um i still to this day believe that if the division got proper support from ubisoft instead of what they got we would that would probably be the biggest live service game out there uh maybe not more than Fortnite, but i think it would absolutely be competing with destiny in uh, apex and, and any of those other live service games um but it, it didn't they they basically you know it's interesting like ubisoft seems like with a lot of their live service games they want it to be a live service game but they fund it and they support it like a like a game that just comes out and then goes away so i um i i don't know i i think it's weird um but it is what it is. Uh, Would you like to see, uh, would you like if Michael Bay directed the Mass Effect series? No, (laughs) he can direct more goofy stuff, not Mass Effect. And then what's up with people wanting nudity in their games? I can agree to a point. I think that, um, I, I, I think that even in like cyberpunk, but even Mass Effect and some other games, like there's a balance, like everyone likes to see some visually pleasing things um but there does come a point where it's like ah, it's a game like how much am i really getting out of this um so i think we just got some horny people out there and i think you know we all can be maybe those people here and there um but i think uh like i i assume what you're talking about is some people being upset that the, the starfield may not have actual like sex scenes that it may be kind of a fade to black thing like they've always done um i think that's weird like there's smut games on steam there's there's pages and pages of them If you want that, get on there and do your thing, I guess. Thank you for the questions. If you have your own, make sure to get them to me for next week. So let's wrap this thing up. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. Every single view, um, please be sure to give me your feedback. Give me your questions. Um, This is a solo podcast. These are not very common and they're not very common because they're hard to keep going. So the way I can keep this going is by getting your reviews on iTunes and on Spotify is by you joining the discord or making comments on YouTube or getting in, uh, you know, my my dms or on my uh my tweets and and give me feedback or give me questions or topics for next week i really do appreciate that um if you yeah if you have any feedback please let me know Uh, you can find me all over the internet as bomb diesel including on twitter youtube instagram and over on twitch and that is all i have so until next time I'm a 64-olicitor, 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 I'm a 64 olicitor i am a 64 olicitor i am